And we know, don't we, we know from the last two sessions that James was talking to a community much like ours, like Riverside, where there were good things going on, but there were also ructions. There were also injustices going on. And this community thought they needed to smash out the injustice with anger and with, with malicious talk and with criticism. And James says, no, hold up. There is a different way to live. There is a different way to bring about justice. We know that James is saying how we live is shaped by Jesus. When we're readers of the word, when we're hearers of it, our community here at Riverside is shaped by the values and the mandate of Jesus. Uh, a few weeks ago in Christmas time, uh, much like many of you, I had COVID again. Uh, I'm sort of working through the, uh, the, the religious festivals. I did Christmas, Easter, Christmas. So I'm a bit worried about Pentecost, but hopefully uh, all will be well. Um, but I wasn't too ill with it. But I did have a little bit of a, a pyjama day where I was watching television and watching rubbish, to be honest. Uh, well, you might not agree. I don't know. But I was watching uh, Who Dares Wins, Celebrity SAS. Anyone seen it? Come on. Oh, yeah, Martin. Oh, there's a few of us. Great. Thanks, Luke. So there's a few of us watching. Well, I watched it, but I didn't just watch one episode. I watched three back to back. And it's really drill sergeants, SAS officers shouting at these hapless celebrities. I know James doesn't approve. Saying, you know, come on, do this, do this, do this. And I was getting really into it. And then I had to switch for a phone call to mentor a guy who was going to be coached for this interview that he was going for. And he said, Judy, could you just spend half an hour with me on the phone, just coaching me a bit to, to go into my interview? And presumably he thought that I might be gentle and, and listen and be kind. I was going, go in there, hold your head up. You can do this. Simon, I believe in you. Don't bow down. Make sure they know. And I, I thought, who is this? And it was only... I did have COVID, but I, I, I sort of sat back hours later, and I sort of... You know when you hear yourself back... I thought, goodness, why did I speak to Simon like that? And I rang his wife and I said, did, did Simon say I was a bit different on the phone? So she said, oh, no, she said you were great. <laughs> so maybe, maybe I need to be a bit more drill sergeant. Um, but I, I apologised through his wife and said, oh, I just watched three episodes of Celebrity SAS and it had deeply affected me. So we know that's just one example of what we take in, we breathe out. What we watch, what we hear. And James is saying, be careful, because what you look at, what you gaze at intently, will shape our communities and our lives. And what I love, if you look at verse 19, he doesn't begin with the wagging finger. And doesn't that make us feel relieved? Because my conversations pastorally, when you talk about the Bible, often say, oh, yeah, I don't read it enough. That's often the first thing that people say. It can be guilt-inducing. And maybe even when you heard the words read, it was like, oh, I wish I looked into the perfect law a bit more. I wish I gazed intently into it. But he begins, verse 19, he says, Dear brothers and sisters. In other translations, it says, My beloved ones. He is saying this because he knows it works. He's saying it with love and exhorting us because he says this is where freedom is. This is where there is freedom in your relationship, in your marriage. This is where there is freedom to speak differently, to live differently, to love differently. And he says, I want this for you. So this is not him critiquing. This is him saying, guys, there's a distinct way to live in our relationships 
Ted Loder, in his brilliant prayer, talks about this. He says, God of such truth as sweeps away all lies, of such grace as shrivels all our excuses, come now to find us. And then he goes on to say, our prayer is to change, O Lord, not out of any self-despair, but out of love for you. And that, for me, is the crux, that if we do the sort of self-flagellation, I've got to change, I've got to speak differently, that's not what James is saying here. He's saying it's out of love, out of freedom, out of relationship, out of gazing in to the word. That's why we've got these journals, and we've still got some available, just with the scriptures literally written out in note form so that you can go through it, as we heard last week, and just gaze intently into this word to live out the distinctive life, the kingdom life of Jesus. Eugene Peterson says, let the gardener God landscape you with the words. And I love that because it's tender. It's saying he wants to landscape you. And there may be a bit of pruning involved in that as we read the word, but there's a landscaping going on in our community and in our personal lives. And that's why at Riverside we have life groups. We have them so that we can look into this word and be changed by it. And I would just encourage you to do the journey with us. This journey with James is brilliant for life groups. It's brilliant if you want to just gather a few of you together and look on the blog and look at the, the text and work together to really find freedom within it. We have food pantries starting off, and the reason for doing that is shaped by biblical community to feed those who are in need, to feed those who are hungry. We've heard about hosting Ukraine. All of these things are the first fruits. And James says, it's not anger that will bring about the justice and the righteousness that you're looking for. It's gentleness, it's righteousness, it's peace, it's love. There's an alternative way to address the unrighteousness and the injustice around us. And he says we can't separate justice from the kingdom. It just changes our way of bringing it about. So let's look at this key verse, verse 25. He says, Whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it is not forgetting what they have heard but doing it. They will be blessed in all they do. And it's this looking intently phrase that I want to just pause on for a minute with us. What does it mean to look intently into the word? Because it's very easy if we've got word for today or we've got something on our phone to just quickly look at it, glance at the scripture or even have the key verse and then walk away. But he's saying if we want true transformation, we gaze intently into it. And he says in the Greek that that word gaze intently is a Greek word that is used when Peter runs and looks at the empty tomb, when the stone is rolled away. Now you imagine you being Peter, looking into an empty tomb, realizing that the whole of the perfect law has been fulfilled in Jesus, realizing that he said he would live and die for you and rise again for you, and here in front of you is the evidence 
Peter had followed him through thick and thin and must have thought, well, is this really true? Did he really rise from the dead? And there he sees this resurrection in front of him. And that's the same word that James is using here. He's saying, look with wonder, look with relationship, look with questioning, look with awe into this word. Don't look, just casually glance at it, but look intently. And we're going to see that actually by gazing intently into the word, by meditating on it, by spending time in it, we will see each other differently in our community. We will see ourselves differently, and don't we need that? But most of all, we will see Jesus, because the whole of the Bible points to him, the perfect law that we gaze into. So how do we see each other? I don't know how your relationships are going, but I call this the waltz of relationships. If any of you waltz, who does waltzing here? A few of you. I don't know why I'm lifting my hand. I, I don't actually waltz, but um, I'm pretending I do. Well, when you're learning to waltz, they say it is quick, quick, slow, quick, quick, slow. But this is an alternative rhythm of relationship that James is talking about. He says it is quick, slow, slow that our relationships need to be quick to listen. What does that mean for us this week? What does it mean to change? I think I'm going to be quicker to listen, slow to anger, slow to speak. So there's a distinctive to our relationships where we can look and sound different. And again, he's doing this because he longs for this missional community that he's speaking to, this community that are trying to address multiple things and multiple needs, so are we. But he says, do it differently, do it distinctly, to be quick to listen to one another. And it's very easy if you're in an argument, isn't it, particularly if you like words, to be already thinking what your comeback is going to be. Have you ever done that? So you're actually not listening to what the person is saying because you're already thinking, ah, I know exactly how I'm going to come back on that. Or maybe it's just me. I hope it isn't. Um, but actually, he's saying, no, hang on a minute. Hang on a minute. Do more listening. You've got two ears, one mouth. Do more listening to one another. Keep a tight rein on your tongue, he says. And he also talks later on in James 3. He says, can fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? In other words, what comes out of your mouth is to do with your heart. We can't have the two kinds of water, the one that is pure, the one that isn't. So as we read his word, even if you've read it in the morning and you're not quite sure it's made any difference, it will have brought change and freedom because it is living and powerful and active. So the distinctive life characterized by our biblical mandate to love one another, to care for one another, to listen to one another... And then he says, if you look at this word, it will change how you see yourself and it will bring freedom from your sinning. It will bring us freedom. Well, how does it do that? And he says, well, don't be like the man who gazes into the mirror for one minute and then off he goes and forgets what he looks like. Now, I don't know about you, but I look really good in the mornings. You'll have to take my word for that because you, you haven't seen me. But first thing in the morning, I look really good. You have to just take that. Um, and then I put my contact lenses in. And everything changes, and I see the wrinkles or the bags or whatever. But for those two minutes before I put the lenses in, I can think, oh, I'm doing all right. And then I see the detail. And in a way, I believe that, that God's saying to us, Jesus is saying to us, if you really want to see the world differently, get your lenses in, read the word, 
Look at things differently. You'll see people differently. You'll see yourself differently. And he will examine us, but in a loving way. Tim Keller says there are two ways to read the word. He says very often our society says, get your Bible and look down on it and say, agree with that, don't agree with that, I agree with that, like that, don't like that. Ever done that? Yes, I have. We do that, don't we? But he says, no. Raise your Bible above you and your life and say, let it examine you. And the Lord will look and say, I like that bit about you. A little bit like to change that, like to work a bit on that, landscaping the garden. And he says, that's the word. It's freedom. It's not just looking at it for good advice. He's saying it's living and powerful to change us, to change and shape our communities. There was a philosopher, a French philosopher called Emile Kellier, and uh, he decided from an early age as a student that he would write down in a beautiful notebook, if you're anything like me, you love a good bit of stationery, and he got a beautiful notebook, and he just wrote any wise things that he heard, poetry, words, pictures, for years. And he said one day he would go and sit somewhere and read the whole thing. But he just accumulated them, wise sayings, things, and, you know, he was just a philosopher looking into all sorts of things. And one day he decided this is the day, and he went and sat under a tree, having done this for years. And he started to read. And when he'd finished, he said the absolute crushing disappointment he felt was overwhelming because, of course, his life had changed He'd moved on. The things that he wrote as a young man didn't have the relevance to where he was now. And in the end, two years after that reading, he finds the Bible and he says, here finally I have found the living word that will change me, that will move with me, that will move in my circumstances, whether I'm at university, whether I'm close to my death, whether I'm ill, whether I'm well, whether I'm happy, whether I'm sad. Here is the living word. And he becomes a Christian. He becomes committed to sharing that word with others so that they may be shaped by it. The Bible is not just good advice. It is power. Jack Wellman says, when you examine the word of God, God examines you, that holding up of the word. And when we look at the mirror, if we look for longer than just that little fleeting moment, we see there's spinach on our teeth or that we've got something round our mouth or we haven't got our toothpaste quite off. We see it because we look. And he's saying, so look into this word and you will see yourself. And there'll be bits that you think are, are good and there'll be bits that you think, I need to get rid of that. And in verse 21, James says, so get rid of the toothpaste and the spinach. Get rid of the stuff that doesn't look good. And you might say, well, that sounds great, but how? How? And he says, you get rid of the sin and you receive the implanted word of Jesus. So in other words, he's saying there is a transaction that can happen every time you read your Bible or you listen to it on audio or you have it on in your car, as I know many do, that actually as you are doing that, some of that sin is being eroded. That desire, that temptation is being quashed. Why? Because you're breathing in his truth. We're getting rid of sin. He says, get rid of it, chuck it off. How? By receiving the implanted word. And he says, look into the perfect law. It's been my privilege this week to meet with two of our young people, both who have told me I feel so different to how I did years before because the Bible and the teaching I'm receiving is changing me. And what was lovely is they both mentioned my identity feels different. 
Isn't that amazing? That's going on here in our church, that when you give, that's what you're giving to, that when you pray, that's what you're praying for, that lives are being shaped. Some of you will know many years ago, I wrote a book called The Dog Who Thought His Name Was No, which is just a series of truths for young people or or students to take away and just learn that one truth and say, that's going to shape how I view myself. That's going to shape how I view the world. Hiding that truth in our heart that we might not sin against him. In contrast, I met with a guy this week also for lunch who I knew many years ago who was a huge influence in my life and is going through an incredibly difficult time and has has walked away from a sort of formal established faith. He still prays, however. But at the end of the time with him, when he discovered just how lost he felt, he said, what are you going off to do now, J-Mo? He called me J-Mo. He said, what are you going off to do now? And I said, oh, I'm going off to finish my talk for Riverside on James. And he said, it used to be my favorite book. It used to be my favorite book in the Bible. And he, just as I was going, he said, send me a bit of your talk. Just send me a piece of it so that I can read it. Because he's hungry. He's hungry for truth. He's hungry for freedom. So we've got those two young people who are saying, this book is shaping my life. And then we've got a guy who said, I used to walk that way. I miss it. So don't just believe, James, this is true for you and I in our world, this perfect law. And then finally, we we see each other. We see ourselves differently. And he says, we will be free as we look into the law, not condemned by it, but freed by it. And then he says, look and you will see Jesus. Look and you will see the perfect law, the only one who ever fulfilled the law completely, Jesus. The Old Testament points to him. And Jesus himself said, I did not come to abolish the law, I came to fulfill it in Matthew. And why do we know that this perfect law works, this scripture, these mouths, these things that Jesus expresses in the New Testament? How do we know that it's true? Well, Jesus himself, drew on scripture. He drew on the scriptures of his day all of the time. When he faced temptation, what did he do? He answered back with scripture. When he faced the religious leaders who perhaps he felt were too lofty or too wise for him, he went to scripture and he said, this is the truth. This is what has been handed down to me by the spirit and by my father. When he faced his death, he said, not my will, Lord, but yours be done. In other words, all of the time that Jesus is alive, all of the time that Jesus was on this earth, it was scripture, scripture, scripture. It was the word of God that he meditated on, that he was freed by. Augustine says the holy scriptures are our letters from home. I really love that. The holy scriptures are our letters from home. Because if Jesus is the one that has beaten death for us, and came back to tell us about it, we have this book as our letters from home. And it's not a letter today of condemnation, it's a letter of love to you. It's a letter of love to you today. Put your name there and think, this is my letter from home. This is my letter that says, John, you are loved. Clive, you are loved profusely, deeply. Put your name there. And he says, it's because I love you, my son, my daughter, my child, that I've given you this book that is life-changing. It's the only book, you know how much I love to read. It's the only book that I know that has changed me inside out and that is going on changing me. 
and I'm still holding it up. I'm still probably not gazing intently enough, if I'm honest. I've been challenged by my own talk in preparation. I'm not a natural studier. I'm a natural people, coffee, chat, as you know. But actually, the challenge for me, the challenge for us at the start of this year, what better time for us to say, I am hungry for breakthrough. I want to be that agent of distinct change in our communities more than ever before. How will we bring about this incredible love that we've received? How will we demonstrate it? And so let's challenge one another that we will find Jesus more and more real as we look into his word. We'll find him more and more powerful. We'll find him more and more faithful to shape us and to inspire and forgive us. And maybe this week, all of us could just think, whether you're watching us online, whether you're doing church at home, or whether you're here in the room, maybe all of us could think, what would it look like this week if we saturate our community with scripture? If we know that there are people who are struggling, send them a verse, send them a chorus, a song, whatever it is, to just lift their heads, to change their reality, to make them known that they're worth. I spoke to a friend this week who said she took her daughter into the job center, and the guy who was uh, the guy there was clearly a Christian, and he said to her daughter, "Do you know something? You are worth it. You're worth it." That's just a guy doing his job, but he is actually breaking the screen, if you like, and saying, you're worth something. God sees you. Your life matters. Your life counts. If all of us are sent out with this living word, not only to scrutinize and meditate and take in for ourselves, but to share it with a world who is hungry and desperate for change.